Welcome back to the Great Southern Grass Matters podcast. It's good to have your company. So today we're really pleased to be joined by Robert Ryan, sales manager at Beef Southern, Matt Jenkin, commercial and sales manager, Small Stock Southern, Mark Ingalls, supply chain farm assurance manager, and Steve Chapman, livestock manager, to answer some of our questions. And it's good to have the company of my co-host, Andrea Crothers. Now, Andrea, we haven't seen each other for some 13 weeks, I believe it is. I know, it's been a long time, hasn't it? And today, James, we're going to be chatting with four of the guys from Great Southern covering all things from sales to livestock, how things have been going, plus, of course, lots of questions from producers who have been sending in some feedback off the podcast we've seen so far. But we'll get to that in a moment. First, I want to know, how are you going? Oh, very well, yes. Thank you, Andrea. We, we've had a, a big spring here in sort of western central Victoria, lots and lots of rain. It's green everywhere. Uh, the lambs are just popping and fattening up very, very quickly and looking delicious. In fact, there's a couple in the freezer already. Good. That's what I like to hear. And how about you? How about I? Well, I'm in Melbourne, um, which obviously has been having uh, not the best of times of late, but I have been keeping in touch with everything on the home front uh, up at Durrambandy in Queensland. Uh, they've just started harvesting today, the wheat. So first crop in about four or five years. It looks ripper, I'm told. And I'm also told the meals for the 10 odd people each night are going well too. Jeez, I'll be celebrating up there. It must be fantastic to be producing again. Yeah, I got some photos through this morning, actually. It just, it looks phenomenal. So I'm a little bit jealous I can't be there, but very good for them. Joining us now, we've got Mark Ingalls, Supply Chain Farm Assurance Manager, and Steve Chapman, Livestock Manager Southern, from, both from Great Southern, of course. And they're going to give us a deep dive into the, the origins of Great Southern, the way that it works with uh, producers and, and right through the supply chain. Welcome, Mark and Steve. Thanks for joining us. Um, guys, you've just recently commemorated Great Southern's seventh anniversary. Take us back to the beginning. How did the whole Farm Assurance Great Southern program come to, to be? Uh, yeah, well, and, uh, it's a great question, James, and um, it, it's very interesting, but the actual program started on LAMB. LAMB was the first um, Farm Assured uh, program. That started in 2010. Uh, I came on board in about 2011 to commercialise it, and we rolled it out um, with about 80 to 100-odd producers uh, up around Cobram, actually, and it was to uh, supply um, the UK supermarket chains um, with lab. That's where it actually started. And then uh, a couple of years later, um, with some great inquiry out of the US around grass-fed beef, um, that's where the second part of it came in, and, and that's where we started the branding program of Great Southern. We've got a podcast coming up on the, the origins of Great Southern. But Steve, can I just get you to reflect on, on your part in the beginning of the, the brand? Yeah, James, look, I, I think it's, um, it, it's been a really, really interesting journey and, um, and quite an exciting one as well. I suppose if you, if you, if you look back to where we come from and, and more traditionally um, throughout time um, with a lot of our producers, they've been producing a really, really good article and, and not knowing about it. So harking back to what Mark said, originally set up from a sales department and then working back through our livestock supply, I think it was a great opportunity to, to be able to embark on an era that um, has been you know, really sort of maximising on uh, feedback and being able to get our farmers to measure ourselves and from that actually better themselves. 
And I think that's been the real integral part from, from my point of view, from the livestock side, is being able to, to see that and across the journey. And uh, Mark's had a lot of feedback, and myself even, with uh, letters and things, having um, some quite elderly people still involved in agriculture and fattening livestock, um, writing in letters saying, at last we've finally got some, some relevance and we actually know what we're producing and we know where it's going and we actually know that it's a good product. And uh, I think that's the exciting part of it and actually very re rewarding as well. On that point, we know that the Farm Assurance Program is obviously central to this. Did you want to take us a bit more through that in terms of how that underpins the program? So when we first started both the Beef and the Lamb Program, um, we had meetings with our producers and our customers as well um, that started the discussion in around what was important to um, our customers and their consumers, but also uh, getting a producer's, um, um, I suppose, feel on what those customers and consumers wanted. So it was a real partnership between uh, between all of us. All we did as, as the processor was facilitate that. One of the questions we've got is from a producer in Victoria who's written in and asked, as a producer from Gippsland, how can I become a part of the Farm Assurance Program? How do people go about that, Steve? Yes, well, it's quite easy. Um, it's all by buyer introduction. So if you contact your local buyer, your local JBS representative, and certainly um, through your agent, you can do that as well. And um, there's a set of criteria. There's a small sheet that we answer on first up, but it must be by introduction of the buyer first and foremost. So if you contact our, our guys out in the field, they'll uh, soon uh, recognise whether you're suitable for the program. And you don't necessarily have to sell us 3,000 cattle a year. We have many people who could sell, you know, 120 to 150 cattle a year and sometimes less. And they're most important or they're just as important as everybody else as well. Mark, we chatted to Elkie Hocking uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast about a few of the shenanigans going down at the Producer of the Year Awards in South Australia. Can you tell us exactly what's the criteria for those awards? Because we know you do have lots of incredible producers in the program. We started doing it maybe six or seven years ago. I think it might have been when we first started. And uh, originally we were getting uh, smaller groups of producers together and, and we benchmark those producers um, weekly, monthly and yearly. So, And that's based on a, on a, on a set of compliance criteria. So we, um, we then, um, uh, we've had a, about three of them now, I think. One in a couple in Tassie, and 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 a couple of big ones uh, here on the mainland. Uh, the last one was in 2018. We had uh, 650 odd producers together in um, the Crown Casino uh, Brownlow room, actually. Uh, so Steve was very excited about that. But we also benchmarked those producers over a three-year period, both the beef and the lamb, to a set of criteria. And uh, the criteria that we uh, that we that we came up with was around um, compliance, and it was around uh, those animals um, supplied to us over that three-year period. So, 60% of the uh, of the actual score that they got was um, had to be carcass spec. So, obviously, we want um, uh, want an animal uh, that's going to be fit for purpose for our customer or our consumer. So within that carcass spec, it was broken up to 20% uh, was based on, on weight, um, the pH fat depth, the dentition, bruising, meat colour, fat colour and butt shape. And then 15% of that 60% was made up of the MSA index and uh, that's a uh, indication of eating quality. So the higher the index, uh, the higher the eating quality. So we put a limit in there at 60 and uh, then um, benchmarked those producers uh, as a percentage over that 60 mark. 
Then the other side of it, the rest of it was around 25% the MSA uh, component. So meeting your uh, pH requirements and your rib fat requirements and fat coverage over a carcass. So then uh, the further uh, part of it was around number, the amount of animals that they actually produce um, um, supply to us um, throughout the year. Um, 12% was also around the spread. So it's a, it, we get a lot of producers that actually can supply us uh, everything in the middle of spring, but from a customer perspective, we'd like to see them spread out throughout the year. Uh, 8% of it was in loyalty. So that, that adds up to about 100%. So um, we had an algorithm or a, or a sheet that actually uh, calculates all that out. And um, we actually got it down to four decimal points. We had to take the number down to four decimal points. And if you look at the last um, producer of the year, the top three were within, you know, 0.04 or 5. It was a, it's amazing that they supply animals over that, that three-year period and, uh, and yet, uh, you know... It's a fraction that separates them. Yeah, exactly. Where do you see the future of food production um, technology heading within the Great Southern Farm Assurance Program and in the wider industry? Because it, it's got to stop sometime, doesn't it, this sort of exponential growth of technology? Oh, I, I don't know. I would, I would hope, uh, James, that we just continue to evolve. I mean, um, certainly uh, over the years I've been uh, quoted in, in both the media and, and by other people around, um, you know, the, the sooner we can get um, objective carcass measurement into some of the, the, the measurements that we, that we do, um, you know, MSA grading and, and as you know, James, I came from uh, Meat Standards Australia to JBS and so I'm a big fan of uh, the grading system. Um, but the quicker we could get sort of, you know, the, the objective, subjective measurements, as I call them, into a objective measurements, so, uh, you know, the better. And, and certainly we are working in that area of um, trialling a, a couple of cameras um, uh, that, uh, that take away some of that subjective measurement for graders. So we're a hell of a lot closer than we than we were, say, five years ago to that objective measurement, aren't we? But we've still got a way to go. Um, I think, you know, things in the lamb side of it around DEXA, um, which that gives us a limit yield um, objective measurement. We've done a couple of um, sessions on limit yield. Um, we can do it now, but it's about linking those individual carcasses um, to the producers. That's where we're having the issue. It's not necessarily the actual measurement. From a, a, um, a beef side of it with the cameras, um, we've actually been trialling a, a camera in Brooklyn since the start of this year. It's just a, it's actually a phone um, um, that takes an amazing, uh, amazing picture and picks out marbling and eye muscle area and things like that. And then um, very soon, hopefully, we'll be trialling a hyperspectral camera, both on the beef side of it for, for assisting the grading and then also on the lamb. Um, COVID's sort of pulled us up. Back in March, we were supposed to have a hyperspectral camera um, in on the lamb um, robot in in Brooklyn, um, looking at marbling in lamb. Now that'll be a uh, that'll be a first if we can get that um, that up and going. So hopefully, uh, as things um, ease up, um, we might be able to get uh, Dr. David Pethick, and uh, you spoke to David the other week over here into the. Um, 
over here into the east and uh, get this camera up and going. Sustainability, we know that's obviously huge. Uh, I also spoke with Danielle Matsunkar the other day regarding shelter belts uh, and the like. Where do you see the expectations of the Great Southern program in 10 years' time with regards to that? Yeah, well, sustainability is certainly the hot topic at the moment and um, in a way so it should be. But I, I don't think it's actually surprisingly, um, if, if you go through a lot of our, our key suppliers, uh, there's not too many people that haven't had an intention on sustainability for such a long time anyway. Um, we, we are now, I suppose, putting it into words and we're putting programs around it. But um, certainly, um, you know, the, the better of our suppliers and, and for that matter, for the better of the, uh, the Australian um, producers have been really focusing on sustainability um, for a long, long time. Um, but certainly it's the hot topic and it's certainly going to have a... Um, become a lot more relevant with what we do and being able to prove that. Um, but I think with the level of professionalism we got within our suppliers, it would be an easy platform to lever off. So how do you think the Great Southern Program will look different to what it does now in 10 years' time? I just think that um, long-term there'll be a lot more required in actually giving it back to our customer base on actually guaranteeing what we're doing. So um, things like we're doing with the third-party auditor program um, will become stronger and stronger um, as we move forward so we can actually have that guarantee. And these types of programs should evolve. They shouldn't stay the same. If it, if it, if it's not evolving, well, then we're probably not meeting customers' needs. So um, the, the, about before Christmas, we got a group of our um, producers together, interested parties around that sustainability side of it, and we got them together and actually said to them, well, what would you like to see or what, what do you think is important from a... Um, a producer's perspective around that sustainability. And we sort of broke it up into, into sort of six pillars, I suppose, and that's where, um, you know, we're, we're working towards. And one of those pillars is, is around soils, you know, looking at soil monitoring, looking at classifications around soils and things like that. The second one is around pastures, and, and we already have a component within the program around grass coverage on uh, in the program, so making sure that we've got um, grass coverage across paddocks and things like that, so there's already a sort of a component in there, um, but we'll, we'll be certainly um, expanding that a little bit. Um, vegetation, looking at their forestry needs, you know, uh, and forestry practices. And as you um, as you found out with Danielle, you know, if we've got some pretty passionate um, producers that are right into, you know, planting of trees and, and also fencing off um, a native vegetation and remnant vegetation. And I think from a southern perspective, um, you know, we look out through the western districts of Victoria and, and they were treeless plains. You know, Landcare has done an exceptional job over the last, um, you know, decades um, of, of fencing off, off uh, creeks and rivers and planting them out to trees. And the Western Districts, you know, known as pleurisy plains, well, well we needed shelter belts and we needed um, um, tree lanes and things like that to actually um, create environments for animals and crops and things like that to thrive. So, you know, vegetation will certainly be a part of it. Um, water, water use is, you know, extremely important, especially in a country like ours in Australia where, you know, we've just been through, especially in New South Wales, you know, um, uh, the droughts that we've seen. So making sure that you've got, um, you know, good access to water and, and, and clean water for, for livestock. So they're, they're the main pillars that we're sort of looking at within the program. Steve, do you use that term continuous learning or continuous improvement when you're talking about the feedback and the way that producers can adapt? Yeah, look, I think it's really interesting um, over the time that what we've noticed as well with um, around the continuous improvement is um, 
where we thought we were doing a really good job and we were we were um, you know fattening really good cattle and and, and everything was was nice and rosy and, and we're getting relatively good returns we didn't really quite understand that um, where we're at today we can look at genetic selection we can look at pasture improvement we can look at management we can look at pre-slaughter slaughter stress and really give advice back to um, to these guys on on just understanding how we can hit the targets that we've got um, and bettering it again. As I said earlier, if you, if you can measure it, you can better it. So I think it's been a really interesting journey with um, with people um, just purely on like, like an MSA ungrade, for instance. Um, we, we we pride ourselves on being less than five percent as a team, um, and we work hard with the feedback to the producers to enable them to hit that. And more often than not, um, in most cases, we're one and two percent. Now, Mark will correct me if I'm wrong here, but the industry average is closer to ten or twelve. So, just over that learning period over the past you know, six or eight years, we've been able to hone our better suppliers into into doing that. And of course, that just impacts their bottom line. So, it's a win-win for sure. Anything to add to that, Mark? I mean, Steve's spot on. I think uh, one of the real benefits that we did is 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 when we first started the program all those years ago. Now. Um, we actually benchmarked where we were at from a compliance perspective. And by compliance, I mean, um, you know, the MSA compliance and also meeting company specs and stuff like that. You know, from an MSA perspective back then, we were about 18 to 20% ungrades. And, um, you know, we were operating at about 60 to 66% compliance overall. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're making Toyota Land Cruisers at uh, 60% compliant, I don't reckon you'd have a business for very much. And over the years, we've actually turned that uh, 66% compliance into, I think, uh, what did we run last week, Steve? I think we're running at um, about 85, 86% compliance. So we want you as a producer to make the most money you can out of your animals. And there's a reason for that is because that benefits us as processors as well. As Steve said, it's a win-win situation. I think I think you make a really good point there, Mark, and it's not just about the livestock side of our business as well because if we need to do 4,000 um, of the farm assurance cattle a week, uh, that's what we need to do. So we can't be building too much fat into that job um, into trying to hit our targets of 4,000. So it extends through operations uh, here at JBS and, of course, onto our sales department as well. So it's critically important that we understand the whole chain, the whole links in the chain with that, um, and it starts in the paddock. And if we can start with a good result, more often than not, you'll end up with a good result. Steve Chapman, Mark Inglis, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Our pleasure. We've got today with us Robert Ryan, Sales Manager, Beef Southern, and Matt Jenkin, Commercial and Sales Manager, Small Stock Southern, uh, to give us an overview of the current market for Great Southern and where they see future trends. Thanks for joining us, guys. So we obviously know COVID's had a huge impact on everything, including ag production, particularly here in Victoria. I just want to start off by thinking how you managed to maintain Great Southern supply over that time, particularly to make sure that both the customers and producers are satisfied with what they're getting. Matt, did you want to start off? It's uh, it's certainly been a unique time from a uh, from a production and sales perspective. The beauty about our business is that it's quite diverse geographically. In that, you know, Brooklyn is, is certainly the larger hub, being a multi-species uh, facility. But having production capability outside of Victoria, where we have uh, producers that that still a part of our, our Great Southern team um, in our interstate facilities, that's certainly what's what's kept us going through that period, particularly while Victoria has been uh, so constrained. And what about you, Rob? 
What are your thoughts on how the whole COVID has been playing out? Uh, it's def- definitely created some some challenges and opportunities at the same time. Uh, aside from uh, having a diverse uh, production base to to spread our risk and to maintain our overall throughputs, we also have a diverse customer base, whether it's in different countries or different sales channels. We've seen some customers of ours actually thrive in these times, different food service segments in different countries, different retail in different countries has uh, has thrived where, where other channels and other segments have, have uh, had their uh, definite challenges and headwinds. Uh, we've seen food service in Australia drop something like 40 to 50%, which is a, a major market for this uh, premium product. But uh, uh, our teams have worked extremely hard. We've been able to pivot into whether it's other countries or, or expanding our uh, presence in the channels that are proving positive in those countries or, or in Australia as well. Uh, we've seen the growth of e-commerce uh, take off extraordinarily here and overseas. So the participation in e-commerce and, and our customers having uh, launched more e-commerce initiatives or, or growing those has, has taken up some of the slack. And, and, and aside from that, it's just it's just been a, a great team effort and hard work over a sustained time now to to make sure we keep finding the best market and the best price for this product. So you consumers that they want to know more about the products they're purchasing, don't they? They want to know where their meat comes from. They want to know more than really than they've ever known before. How does Great Southern address that, Rob? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, traceability and, and, and origin of product is, is more important than ever. Uh, people want to know where did it come from and, and who, were the, who were the families that, that raised this product or produced this product. Uh, chefs want to tell a story. General consumers want to just want to know more from where their product came from, and we've seen that evolution over the years. Where I think customer needs are, are gradually uh, met year on year. Uh, you go back to the start of Great Southern; it was all about solving grass-fed, and then it was ABF, then it was GMOs, and, and now it's it's heading down the traceability track. And uh, through through our program with the traceability program, we've launched. Um, initially with the King Island project and working on a significant rollout of that across the, the rest of our business, uh, we see more and more inquiry coming more often about traceability and uh, we have a lot of tools and a lot of innovations in our program currently that provide a level of traceability like no other, but we're taking it to another level with traceability back to pack and, and, and actually identifying the producers who, who raise that product. Just on that, Rob, I actually had a really great chat with um, Phil Kennedy from Pure South Dining here in Melbourne uh, not too long ago uh, regarding the King Island Traceability Program. Where do we see that expanding out to other brands? Uh, as we as we keep uh, rolling that out and, and seeing the su- success of that, we're now uh, further improving and innovating on that solution to roll out to, to all of the brands that we produce at Longford with an ultimate goal to roll out across the whole Southern business, which is, is well underway and, and should uh, see that uh, showing up in products as of next year. And Longford's the starting point due to the scale, right? Uh, not only scale, but it was it was a matter of choosing a starting point and we chose King Island as a, as a, unique, a unique brand where we wanted to add that 
innovation to first, being being a flagship brand and being a leader in the market. Now, Rob, we, we've had a question from a restaurant owner or a restaurateur, I think is the, the correct term. And the question is, how can I become part of the Great Southern Program? Yeah, it's a good question. And uh, in the Australian market here, JBS... Uh, have two divisions that are part of our business, which is DR Johnson's, which has got a national presence at the wholesale level. And we also have Andrew's Meats, which is a major food service supplier across the eastern states. Those two businesses uh, are great suppliers of our brands and have exclusivity on some of the brands. And also, uh, there's a if people can jump on our website, there's a contact form there that comes directly to our office. We can make sure that you get connected up with the right people quite quickly and also follow through on any uh, other things that might need assistance on. Now, just finally, guys, we've seen a lot happen with COVID. I know we touched on it just before, but with regards to the long-term impact, what do you think that will be on the domestic, but particularly also those export markets? Interesting question because that that is uh, it's hard to know when we're actually going to come out of this. Um, we're certainly seeing consumer trends change, um, whether that be through um, or particularly in relation to Victorians and, and even even people in North America from time to, from their space. But there's been restricted travel, so there's been potentially a little bit more disposable income to spend on protein. People are not able to get out to uh, restaurants, whether they be fine dining or other. So we are seeing through retail better cuts of meat being purchased, whether it be for a, an occasion one-on-one or, or, or for the wider um, immediate family. But that that's certainly been the case. But that will not, you know, that's not infinite. I think that will change. Um, there's still quite a lot of, uh, unemployment around the world due to, due to COVID. So when we start seeing tourism and, and populations of people starting to move around and food service sectors open up, I, I think we'll start to see normal again. But I, but we will see those trends continue on, whether they be more online <clears throat> through um, individual households. People have experimented with different proteins, I believe, through this period. And, and I've definitely seen that in North America on lamb. Um, there's been more lamb consumed uh, through retail in this current period in North America than, than previous years. Just how much? So lamb is around about 2% of a supermarket protein uh, as far as their... Because uh, they don't really like it, do they? <laughs> not overly. But, but some retailers in, in North America are up 80% on lamb. Wow. So that's that's great. That's great for us. It's great for our industry. It's great for producers. Um, you know, it'll be just great to see that continue. And um, have you actually tried anything unique yourself this time that you wouldn't usually be eating at home for dinner? A, a bit like everyone. It's a common theme, but everyone has more time. You know, I've been doing a lot of slow cooking. Like, you know, I've, I've had uh, some pinnacle briskets uh, that I've that I've taken the time to cook and some short ribs on the weekend just gone as well. So... It's more just about taking the time, but also having the time with your family. So you'll sit down to a meal rather than be uh, in between sport and homework and the rest of it. Yeah, absolutely. I know in our household, we've definitely been hooking into a few more roasts than we normally would just because you have time to put it on the table. It's nice. Thanks for listening to the Grass Matters podcast. We've been through a fair bit today, haven't we, James? 
Yeah, we certainly have lots of questions answered, which is great to clarify for everyone listening. I think the thing I did get out of it is you're not going to be a great Southern producer as yet, but for those who are or for those who do like listening, they can tune in to us every Thursday at two o'clock. Absolutely. They can also follow us on socials at Great Southern Family, and that's a top place to be sending your questions if you'd like them answered. We'll see you next time. Until next time. (laughs) See you, Andrea. Bye, James.